vitality in our life, not just being connected to Jesus, but actually allowing his life, his energy, who he is, his will, his desires to flow through us. Because as he says, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he says, uh, apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. It is only when you are connected through him. The fruit that you and I bear, it's not our own. It is his fruit, which he has used us to create. And so that's why we're talking this year about having the life of Christ inside of us. Well, we've been talking this month about being a new you in this new year and uh, reimagining, re-envisioning once again what that means for us to be new in Christ. And so last week, we talked about being restored through the sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit. Restoration meaning that you have been broken from what you once were, and you are in the process of being fixed up. You are being repaired. So you and I, when we come to Christ, we are saved, we are redeemed, we are justified, we are forgiven. But in that moment, we are given the Holy Spirit for the purpose of restoring us in this body to what we were supposed to be in the beginning. We talked about being restored, that we need to exercise freedom over sin, that we need to make Christ the focus, and we need to follow the Holy Spirit. So in this life, as we are going along in our Christian existence, one of two things is going to happen. As we try to live the Christian life, we are either going to live it joyfully, filled with life, or we will be exhausted and weary, and it will be a constant burden and a constant struggle to be what God wants us to be. Now this morning, I dare say that as I express those two things, you know which of those two areas you fall into. And for so many of us, it can become very easy for us to find ourselves in that situation where we have tried to do it on our own, because that's when we get exhausted. We get exhausted when we try to do it on our own, by our own power, and not on His power. We get exhausted, we get tired. And we find in Scriptures, there's an understanding that we are going to fall into this at times that we are going to become tired, we are going to become worn out, and that we need to be revived. Now, most of us, when we think of the word revived outside of a Christian context, there's really only one scenario that we kind of think of, and that's CPR, right? Someone has passed out, they are unconscious, and someone comes and pumps their heart for them and breathes into their mouth for them, depending on the rules at the time because they're always changing, but you go through this process in order to keep them alive. They can't do it on their own, so you've got to do it for them. That's what we are talking about. When we are talking about being revived, we are talking about being made alive again when we were not prior. Now, you may ask yourself, what's the difference between being restored and being revived? It seems like you're one thing, you become something else. And that, that's, that's kind of valid. The reality is restoration. Let's look at the creation of Adam. God, it took the chaos of the dust, and he assembled it into the body that would be Adam. So he takes the chaos of our life without Christ, the sin and the brokenness, the pieces that are scattered all over, and through Christ, he reassembles us, he restores us. But we aren't alive. The revival is when that body has been assembled out of the dust, God has formed it. 
He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. We are not simply desiring to be restored to what we were supposed to be. We want to be revived in life. We want to be radically, fundamentally changed so that the existence we have is the existence that God intended from the beginning. So we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 20 to 31. And I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to read it the way I think it's meant to be read. When I taught down in Atlanta at uh, the Greater Atlanta Christian School that I taught at, whenever I had the kids read passages in class, I would always make sure to tell them, I want them to speak the Scripture, not read the Scripture. Because reading the Scripture comes across lifeless, if you will. When they read it, they would read John 3.16 and say, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And after reading that, you're like, whoop-dee-doo. They read the words. They didn't speak them as they were written. Does that make sense? So I'm going to read this passage. Apologize if it's a little over the top, but I, I, I just hear Isaiah. I hear, I hear the intensity behind what he says. Here's what he says. Have you not heard? Uh, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding, it is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You cannot read that without reading the life that Isaiah intends. The point of that passage is, as you and I go through this existence, we are going to get tired when we rely upon ourselves. But when we allow God to live through us, his very life will come inside of us and we will not tire. We will have power from on high to live a different kind of life. Do not rely upon the flesh is what he's saying. Look, even young men, they get tired. Even youths grow weary when we are at our strongest. When we have the, we look at kids, they're running around like imbeciles, and we go, oh, I wish I had that energy. Isaiah is saying, all of that energy, it's still going to run out, but the strength that the Lord provides does not fail. You will run and not fall, you will walk and not faint. God's desire is to fill you, revive you, to complete the life that he wants for you. He wants to breathe new life into you this morning. Not just this morning, but every morning. My day, my week, I should say, it just doesn't work if I don't have church on Sunday. Whether I'm preaching, whether I'm I'm at at a different church, my parents' church, someone else's church... Does this happen to you? If you miss a Sunday, the week just doesn't work. Not that, not that it, 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 your life, you know, you, you lose your house and your family all leaves you, but the, it, it, something's off all week long. 
It's not right. It's not synced up. There's something about this moment that we gather together and we know we get filled back up. Something happens because the Lord is in this place and he touches us. He pours himself into us and we, get, we go to overflowing, right? right? He fills us so much with his spirit that we carry it out the door and, and that spirit is moving without us and going out into the world. Honestly, most of evangelism has absolutely nothing to do with the words that are spoken. In the first century, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the messages of Paul or the, or the preachings that happen. I'm a preacher. I don't want to minimize that too much. But the point is, the actual evangelistic power of God is demonstrated and seen in the lives of his people as his presence overflows through them into the world around. It is only when people look at us and see this love exuding off of us, God's presence just all over us, and and so much so that we can't contain it. We have to share the mercy we have. We have to share the love we have. We have to speak with grace because we were spoken to with grace. As those things overflow out of us, then our words mean something. But that shouldn't be a one-time event. It shouldn't be a weekly event. Revival should be a daily event. We read a couple of weeks ago about how God's, God's mercies are new every morning. Not just his mercies. The life that he has to give you is refilled, renewed, and ready at the beginning of every day. You and I, we do not have to get exhausted. We do not have to get tired. And so in this concept of being a new you, we leave our past behind. We we get restored and we're going to be revived. So let's go. um, We're going to talk about this step by step. How do we begin? How How do we start the process of revival? There is a place where it starts. And it begins when you own your weaknesses. Now, maybe, maybe you're sitting there and thinking, well, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound very encouraging. I'm going to start feeling great about myself by focusing on all of my problems. That's where revival begins, always. All throughout the scriptures. There, there's a word for the, be, for the beginning process of revival. It's even the name of one of the books in the Old Testament. Lamentations. Lamentations. To lament. To lament is to recognize and acknowledge your weakness. To admit the reality of your situation. To recognize the limits of your potential. To recognize not only your strengths, but where you fall short. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul there speaks of himself and he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he was having revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love how he says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There is no movement of God in us that does not first begin with us recognizing our need for him. All the revivals in the scripture, whether you've got the revivals of Josiah, the revivals of Nehemiah, Hezekiah, the revival that happened at Pentecost, what you see is that this this resurgence of life that happens in these people begins with their hearts being pricked, the recognition that they are insufficient. And it isn't a bad thing. To acknowledge your weaknesses. Paul says, I, you know what? I'm going to accept them. Now, what he doesn't mean is that he's, he's not saying I'm going to embrace them. That, hey, if I'm greedy, I'm just going to, I'm going to be the greediest Christian there can. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, he said, I'm just going to recognize I am greedy. I'm going to recognize that I have weaknesses in me. Because it is when I recognize those weaknesses that I go to the one who can help me overcome those weaknesses. Because if I, so we talked last week and the week prior, we talked about the need that sin has power over us when we do not confess our sin, when we hide our sin away, it gets power over us. The same is true of our weaknesses that we carry. When we do not acknowledge our weaknesses, they have power over us, not the other way around. It's often said, I think it is, I think it is true, bravery is not the absence of fear. My kids, especially the, young, the younger they are, you tell kids to be brave, they get in their mind that brave is the opposite of being afraid. Or that, yeah, bravery is the opposite of fear. But that isn't true. The absence of fear is idiocy. I'm, I'm dead serious. If you jump out of a plane and you're not scared, you're an idiot. That's, that's moronic. Now, bravery, I, I, I don't want to do it, so no one buy this for me ever. If that happened to me and I'm up in a plane and I've got a parachute on, I, I'm terrified. What determines whether or not I'm brave is whether I admit and I confront it. In your spiritual life, you cannot confront weaknesses. You cannot overcome weaknesses that you have not recognized. And the moment you recognize them is the moment you you need. You recognize that you need God's power moving through you. And it is when you recognize that you need that power that you ask for that power. And it is when you ask for that power that you receive that power. So you see, there is no power without your recognition of weakness. 
We have to acknowledge. Listen, this morning, if you ever, if you ever, and I'm going to use teaching as an example because it's just the one that jumped in my head this morning in first service. If you ever feel God calling you to teach, but you are absolutely terrified of it, you think you would be a horrible teacher, you think that you don't have the ability to do it, great, we want you, you terrible, horrible teacher. Not because we want terrible teachers, but because people who feel the call of God, who recognize their weaknesses, and yet are willing to step out and do it, I know for a fact that God steps in to that life and does amazing things. I sometimes wonder why God called this introvert to stand up in front of people and preach. I do it. And when I do it, I can feel him moving. Men, we don't like to admit weakness. That's probably our greatest weakness. We've been, we've been taught that a man needs to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. We need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We need to have control of everything, have, have full control of self, I mean, all of these things. We, 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 are supposed to, we are supposed to be the masters of our own destiny. And, and so we, we actually build in ourselves and in our children. We think we're making them better men, but we're actually making them worse. Because we are drilling in the heads of our kids. We don't mean to, but we're teaching them the truth that you can do it. Which means that they don't need Christ. Strength, like bravery, is not the absence. Strength is not the absence of weakness. It is the confrontation of that weakness. So Paul says, when I recognize, when I acknowledge, when I even accept the fact that I am weak, then God is able to use me. You have your kids doing something there. They're working, they're trying to do something, they're not doing it right. You as a parent come along and say, here, let me help you do that. I got it, Dad, I got it, I can do this. When they're three and they're trying to learn to, to feed themselves and they're putting applesauce in their eye because they can't aim and you go and try to help them, no, they get mad. Why? I can do it. And you're looking going, no, dude, you got, you got sauce on your face. Let me help, it's okay. But we just, it's our human nature. We don't want any help. So it makes sense that it begins there where we acknowledge this need. Second thing is that we have to renew our minds. I'm not going to spend too much time here. Romans 12, 1 through 2, pretty, pretty well-known passage. Uh, if you've been in the church, if you've been in the church any length of time, you've probably heard it a couple of times. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal, the reviving of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So when we first realize that we are not fully capable, we do not have all the answers, we have weaknesses, the first thing that we do is we go back and we rediscover the power of the Word of God. It was God's Word that changed us in the beginning. It is the Word that is going to revive us today. The Word of God is living and breathing. It is active. It is just as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. It is a living Word. The problem is we can get to the point where we we think we have the understanding. We've read it. We've seen it. I could go out to a field and see prairie because all I'm looking at is the surface. Another man could go out to that same field and see oil because he's thinking deeper. He's seen beyond the surface. When we open up the Word of God, there is a surface aspect to it. But every time we go back into it, the more we read or reread even the same passages that we have read before, we are digging deeper into that Word and we are finding things of value. Like the kids digging in their backyards despite the fact that I'm sure their dads were just aggravated beyond belief that there are holes. They find some Civil War memorabilia, something of value. People used to dig to find gold. We dig to find oil because we know that the deeper we go that there might be something of value. I have read the same passages of the Scripture so many times in the past 30 years. I just can't believe it. And yet I'm always amazed, amazed. I could read a passage 120 times and then one day I read that same passage 121st and God speaks to me a message different than I'd ever seen there before. Because the message that I needed was the surface message all along. But this day I needed the deeper meaning. I needed to be brought into a better understanding. And I will get so excited. I will go home and I will annoy my wife for a while. Going, oh my God, you won't believe it. I figured out what what God showed me today. And I go and I show her and I'm just so excited. And luckily I have a wife that, that gets excited about that with me. She doesn't roll her eyes at me. She's happy for me. The scriptures are like that. They are living. They are the same words that have been there for 2,000 years. But the meaning... The truth is the same, but its application, its meaning, its timeliness changes and speaks to us at different times. We need to renew our minds. And the only reason you're ever going to open up the Scriptures and read is if you first acknowledge that you do not yet understand it all starts with admitting our weaknesses, rediscovering the power of the Word of God, the transformative power. Then we get to the third one, which is we experience God's presence. Now, for so many Christians, I fear that we stop at the first two. We get good about beating ourselves up about what's wrong with us, right? 
We, and, and we might even get to the point where we are combing the scriptures for truth. You know what? We'll come to a, a Sunday morning Bible study and we are going to come to the worship service and we might even come on Wednesday night because we want to learn, we want to get into the Word. We might actually reach that point. But how many Christians stop there? We've got to come to experience his presence. I want to read Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to her teaching. Oh, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are so anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus shows up. Two sisters greet him. Of course, when he shows up, the entourage shows up. He's got the whole crew that comes with him. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They've been traveling. And Martha does the right thing and goes and prepares sustenance for them to take care of them. She is serving Jesus. And when she looks over, she sees her sister Mary sitting at his feet and just listening to him. And she is incensed and unhappy. Lord, tell her to serve you like I am serving you. And Jesus looks, Martha, 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 Martha. Mary's chosen the better thing. Now, he wasn't telling her that she was wrong for serving him. He was just saying that what Mary was doing was much, much more important. You know, we can get so busy in our lives, family events, work events, kid events, even church events, that we get so busy doing, we never stop to simply be. We have got to make sure that we are taking time to experience God. So when I was a little kid, I was an indoorsy kind of kid. I wasn't a big outdoorsy. I liked to read, I liked to write, and I liked to draw. My dad liked to work, liked to hunt, liked to work in the yard, um, and just work on the car. So he'd come in sometimes, and he would look at me when I was a little kid, and he'd be like, all right, come out here. It's time to learn how to change brakes. You Come on. Oh, Dad, and I didn't want to do that. That was nonsense to me. Someone else does. So I go out with Dad, and I'd sit there next to the tire watching. And he's like, okay, son, here's what you need to do. And he walks me through it. And I don't want to hear it. I'm frustrated. It's nonsense to me. Who cares? And Dad then, of course, knows 
you don't want to pay for this. You've got to learn to pay attention. And then he starts saying, well, what, what did I just tell you? What did I just, and I'd rattle it off to him all unhappy. Whatever, fine, I'm listening. Get it done. Finally, we're to the point where the brakes have changed, but we are not happy with each other. He's like, get inside. I'm going now. And he go do something else. I go inside. I think he tried that twice. I think he tried the oil three times, but I didn't want to touch it. And there was a point where we just, hey, we just kind of said, you know what, this, this ain't working. And he kind of stopped. So a couple of years ago when we were up in Iowa, our deck was rotting and falling apart, and I made plans of doing it, and my dad said, well, I'll come out and help you. So they took two weeks off, something like that, and came out to our house for a week and a half. My dad and I went outside from sunup to sundown for a week and a half. Now, some of you guys are like, week and a half, sunup? You were, you know, no, I, I get it. It took us a while. Tore it apart. Put it back together. I mean, we were sitting there making sure it was perfect, and we're talking about all kinds of th- the weirdest thing. It was one of the best moments with my dad. Just building a deck with him. He ended up leaving, and then a week and a half later, he sent me an email. remember this ever happening and thanking me for letting him come out and help me and what a what an amazing time it was together just to spend together and that whole week and a half really ended up having nothing to do with it I got a nice deck out of it but it had nothing to do with the deck it was about I will remember that all of I will remember that when he's gone building the deck with my dad. And I think back to when I was a little kid. I was with my dad, but I was not experiencing my dad. Is that right? But when I was grown, it wasn't the deck. It was the experience. God is looking for you to experience him to feel his presence, not just to do with him or for him, but to be with him. And that's where life comes from, is in, is in those times when we set aside. Do you, do you set aside time where you withdraw from everything in the world and you just sit with God, just, just him? And I'm not even talking about reading. I mean, praying, meditating, just sitting in silence, giving you that time when you are not busy with the work. You're just sitting at the master's feet like Mary was. Do, do you do that? Because that is so important to life. It is so important to the relationship. If you do not feel like you have a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God, it is because, I'm telling you, it is because this morning you do not take the time to sit with him and him only. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah felt threatened. He's crying out to God, God, where are you? I need you, I need you. And a mighty wind goes blowing by the front of the cave. 
that he stayed in. And he looked for God, and God wasn't in the cave. It wasn't, wasn't in the wind. And then a mighty earthquake shook the ground where he was. And he listened for God in the earthquake. And God wasn't there. And then a mighty fire went roaring by the cave. And Elijah searched for God in the fire. But he wasn't there. And Elijah sat pondering this. And the voice, the volume of a whisper, spoke. And what God was teaching Elijah is that God is there. You just have to stop and listen. My dad was always there. I just had to stop and experience my relationship. God is not far from you this morning. He is not distant. He's not on the other side of the galaxy or the universe. He is right next to you. For most of us, though, we're like the kids. We're not like the grown-ups. I said as a dad, I can remember my kids as little kids. They're running around being numbskulls because that's what kids do. And you're following them going, hey, 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 stop that. What are you doing? And they're not paying a hill of beans of attention to you. You tell them three times to do the same thing. They don't listen to you. They keep running around, and and you just want to pull your hair out because you cannot get their attention. Until they fall and hurt themselves, right? They fall and hurt themselves. And then Quinn's coming in because his knee is red. I'm bleeding. You're not bleeding. It's red. But if anything's red, he's pouring blood. Am I going to die? And then he runs and jumps up in mom and dad's arms. Hold me, hold me, I need to. And we're like that. It's like the only time we, 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 God is with us and we are completely oblivious. We just run around. We never stop to be with him. We never pay attention to him. We are just so, so busy and running around doing our nonsense. And he's going, hey, 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 trying to get our attention until we get hurt. Something happens. Financially, emotionally, physically, something happens to us. We don't like them. We run to God. We can't wait for those moments. God is right there. Last night, I shared this first service. My wife was, my wife was still here, and, and so she heard this. So don't go and tell her like, like you heard something that she wasn't supposed to hear. So last night, we're sitting, and she's got her iPad in, and Will comes in, and he's got something to share with, with, with Jenny. And he goes, he's, she, she's reading, I don't know what it was, whatever, Pinterest, Facebook, non, whatever. She's flipping through that stuff, and Will comes up, and for like three minutes, hey, Mom. Mom, what do you think about this? Hey, Mom. And I'm, I mean, he's right there. He is right there. Mom. Mom. Finally, I'm sitting here watching this, and I'm going, she has no clue. He grabs the iPad, takes it out of her hand, and says, well, this is gone for a little while. She goes, what? What? I looked at her, and I said, he, he is a foot and a half from your face talking to you. She goes, I didn't know. Yeah, that's how we do. Now, you and I, we are human beings. 80% of our brain power is in processing what we see. So it's not a shock that the God we cannot sometimes gets lost to us. Because we are so busy on the world that we can see that we never stop to see beyond it to the God that is calling to us. 
No, God is needing you. Listen, I want to encourage you. Each day, find a moment that you withdraw to by yourself. You pray, you meditate, or you sit in silence. I have gone to pray at times and, and run out of things to pray. Do you want? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When you run out of things to pray, you are not done praying. That's what most of us think. Oh, I have nothing more to say. That's like me walking up to my wife saying, can we have a conversation? And I talk to her, and once I'm done speaking, apparently we're done with the conversation. It was one-sided, mind you. I'm not going to listen. I've had my say. That's not productive. You sit in silence. You listen. So there was this time when I'm praying, and I run out of things to pray about. But I knew I wasn't done. Does that make sense? I knew I wasn't done, but I didn't have anything else to say. And so I just sat there. And after about five minutes of just sitting there in silence, all of a sudden I busted up and I started crying. I started weeping. Of course, I've got this stupid man thing in me. I, I, uh, what the is this? And of course, we as men, well, that's, that's a weakness I've got to fix. Where is that coming from? You know? And I remember, you know, Romans 8, 28, uh, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Oh, right there, right? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so in that moment, I just allowed myself to be in the presence of God, and I allowed the Spirit within me to cry out with words that I didn't have. And God was God broke something in me. I hope he cleaned I mean, I'm assuming he cleaned it up. Because, I mean, he, something happened. And I needed it, apparently. That only happens when we experience God. Last thing, last thing. Soak in God's love. Soak it in. And I want to, I want to, I want to carry this concept of soaking in His love beyond, not just experience it, not just, I feel His love. I'm talking, it inundates you. It permeates you. It moves from the outside, and it moves through every fiber of your soul touches every aspect of who you are listen here's what paul says ephesians 3 14 to 19 put that up there this is his prayer for you listen this is his prayer for you this morning for this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So see, right, right, I, I'm praying that he revives you, that he brings this life back into you. Why? Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God is reviving you and making you alive again so that you may know the love that cannot be known. Now, maybe you're like me, and you're going, that don't make any sense. How can I know what can't be known? You, know, not what, what, you have to know what it means. So that's the first no. He says, I want you to 
no. This no is like in the beginning uh, when Adam knew Eve, okay? That's, that's what we all as adults, um, you know, we know what that means. They were physically intimate together. The two became one. They, they merged and became one person from the two. So what Paul is saying, he says, look, I want you to know the love of God. I want you to know the love of Christ. I want you to be united with it. I want it to fill you. I want it to, be, to consume you. I want you to become a part of it and it to become a part of you. There's no separation. It should be what you are. You should know it in your heart and in your gut. It, it, should, it should fill every part of you this love that cannot be known in the mind. I cannot tell you with words what this love is. It may only be experienced. It may only be inundated through us. So you are to know, you are to be one with this love that has no words to express it. That you be filled. And Paul, Paul saying, oh, that's, that's what I want more than anything. I want God to revive you. I want him to pump his life into you and through his spirit to inundate you with love so that you are infused with it. You are glowing with it. You are dumping it all over the place. Love, he says, you are rooted and grounded. In this love. The roots of the trees have a multiple purpose. One, to hold it in place, to make it strong. And two, to feed it. What we're being told in here is that it is the love of God which grounds you, roots you, holds you, makes you strong, and it is what feeds your life. you've ever not been able to forgive someone it's because you have not you have not sat and allowed God's loving forgiveness to overwhelm you because when it does there is no sin that you cannot forgive One of the best ways I can think, the best expression would be that, because this is for the men. Men, okay, see, if I say Jesus wants to inundate you with his love and you need to know him as Adam knew Eve and you need to know his love that way, uh, for most of us, that's, I mean, we, we can kind of get that. But for men, we're like, dude, that Jesus is a dude. That's weird. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying there's a natural barrier there with men that we do not approach this this. We do not approach the concept of love with God the way I believe that Christ intends us to understand the love that we are supposed to have with him. It is supposed to be extremely intimate, extremely close. So I'm going to give an example that kind of takes it out of the sexualized or that, that, that intimate uh, place and, and do it this way. When I go to bed, I don't lay down with a blanket that just covers up part of of my body. I don't just cover my feet or, or just get a little towel and, and lay it over my chest and, and go to sleep. That would look really weird. I get in, I dig into those covers, 
at night, and I'm like a dog circling. Right? When a dog's getting ready to lay down, you see them circling around. They're kind of pushing the bed to make a spot, and they lay down, and they roll in, and I get in bed, and I'm digging into it with my shoulders trying to get that spot just right. I grab a hold of the covers, and I turn over, and I'm, tu- I'm tucking, tucking covers all over. I'm going to be wrapped up in it like a burrito. Jenny decide, I've, I've taken too much. She grabs it and rolls the other way, pulls it off me. No, I'm fatter than you. I get it and pull it back. I want to be, be wrapped up in that blanket. Because there's something in that moment when you get under that covers and you feel the weight of that blanket and it wraps all around you, you just feel the warmth coming in. It just begins to, begins to inundate you and it's like you begin, you begin to sink and you almost don't want to go to bed because it just feels too good. It's just so nice. You're just so warm and you're so wrapped up. And of course, guys in here are going, no, I don't do that. Yeah, you do. We all do that. We all wrap up and we love to get there. Oh, that's what it's like. It's not unmanly. To sit down, to curl yourself in Christ, to allow His presence, His love, His righteousness, His goodness, His mercy to just warm you up. Soak in his love. That is the power of our faith. Not just, I I, I want it for you this morning, but not just this morning, every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning, God has a fresh supply, a full supply to fill you, to overflow you, to change your day. Every day is new. It is disconnected from the past. It is disconnected from the future. He wants to revive you right now and set you up so that you may have abundant life. So in this year, in this week, and in this day, my prayer is that you be revived, made alive to the fullness of who God is so that you may experience his joy. That's our invitation this morning. Would you stand? We're going to sing our song of invitation in Christ alone. And if you... If you this morning need to make that profession that, you know what, I am, I have been weak and I need his strength in me. That is the definition of strength. Face the weakness, overcome it. If you need to embrace his love this morning, you can do so. Just come forward. You don't, we don't have to pray with you. You can pray by yourself, some gesture. Or if you want us to pray with you, we can do that. Whatever you need, let us help you and serve you in any way we can.